Let me invite you, if you have the word of Christ with me, to open to Psalm chapter 27. We're going to continue on in our summer series of the Psalms, which um, has been incredibly beneficial, convicting, but beneficial to my own heart, and, and I hope it's been the same for you. Tonight, again, we'll be looking at Psalm 27, <clears throat> which is 14 verses, um, and I'll talk to you in a minute about how we're going to navigate this because it is such a rich text full of like loaded pearls of the glory of God, uh, but we're going to talk about the one thing the Spirit of God is highlighting the most here, and we're going to focus on that. Uh, but while you're turning there, let me just take a minute during this time, um, I'm grateful that we heard from Joel this week. They're doing well. Family's doing well. Um, and I know we all love him so much. And I'm grateful that God has allowed this opportunity um, for him to have rest and restoration, to come back and to lead us on to greater heights by God's grace and for God's glory. But I'll admit that beginning the summer if, if I would be lying, if I would say there wasn't a little bit of anxiety that I had to battle and, and confess to the Lord, right? I mean, you never know. But God has shown himself to be faithful. He builds his church, right? We're grateful to have a wonderful shepherd and, and Joel. And I want to be um, particularly express my appreciation for the staff. That over time they've put in, Joel, John being ready to, to lead us through a theological talk back Thursday night, which is so good, around missions. If you missed it, I would encourage you to look it up. Um, there was a family, a missionary family, who in the process of planting a church in France, who spoke to me afterwards, and um, very encouraged by it, and, and a number of other things that God is doing. Laurel, poor Laurel, she's not here, but... Uh, she gives me deadlines and I never make them. In other words, she's like, I need this bulletin by Thursday at 1, 1.30. And for whatever reason, 1, 1 turns into 4, 4.30. And so in particular this week, she had to go back. On Friday, she's off and she printed the bulletin that you have before you and hopefully the listening guide as well. Um, and, and I could go on and on. Our worship team, just so many ways that God has used the gifts that he has brought here to this church to glorify his name. And so thank you to each and every one of you for devoting uh, and submitting yourself to being used by God during this time. Um, and I'm also very excited to go through Psalm 27. It has been, uh, as I told my wife on the phone yesterday, probably one of the most enjoyable sermons I've ever prepared to preach. And the theme of it has just been probably my favorite. And she said, how you say that every time you preach? And uh, so, so why should you believe me? Well, I, the reality is the treasures of God are, are endless, right? And they're always wonderful. And a good word from the Lord spoken at the right time is the greatest passage of Scripture for that very particular moment. And that has been the case for me in preparing for Psalm 27. And the reason it's been that way for me is it addresses an incredibly important priority as it relates to knowing how to biblically, spiritually live the normal Christian life in the strength of God. And let me explain why that matters. All of us, I would say, and we have to fight this temptation all the time. We have this concept 
as wrong as it is, but I think we would all agree we face it at times, especially new believers that, that perhaps you interact with. They see the normal Christian life operating this way. As my obedience to the Lord increases, the blessings from the Lord for my comfort, prosperity, follow in suit. Other ways you could say that. But it, the more if I'm obedient to God, he'll be good to me and not... He may walk me through trials, but he'll, he'll take care of them. And above all, more and more and more, life will get easier and easier and easier the more I obey God. Maybe it's just me. I may not be y'all. The reality is, though, when you read through the Scriptures... The call to follow Jesus, as he told his disciples in the Gospels, and as we see from the apostles, and even as we see in the Old Covenant, but particularly as he called his disciples and he called those when he was here on earth, is a call to take up your cross and follow me. Meaning, I'm headed to Calvary. Is that where you want to go? Because the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, the only thing I can promise you coming after me and following me is me. That's got to be good enough for us. But as we walk this journey on the hills of our Savior and we enjoy intimacy with him, the reality is we as Christians, the normal Christian life is not one of comfort. The normal Christian life is one of embattled spiritual warfare. At times it is intense and at times it wanes a little bit. But that is the normal Christian life. We go from battle to battle to battle. Just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's walking into Macedonia. Paul happens to be I mean, we know we're talking about a man who loved God. Had been given the great mysteries of the truths of God. Faith that inspires all of us. Yet he says he walks into Macedonia, conflicts without and fears within. That's the normal Christian life. Conflicts without, fears within. Therefore, if this is the normal Christian life, hear me on this, one of our greatest priorities has to be seeking humbly, prayerfully asking God to teach us how do we, who are weak, find strength to glorify him and to navigate this fears within conflicts without this normal life of spiritual warfare until we see him face to face and that is what brings us to psalm 27 is why i'm excited i know y'all aren't yet but i'm there and i'm hoping you're going to get there by the end of this message it is one of the most important things for us as believers. One, understand what the normal Christian life is. Warfare, battlement, battlement, battlement. 
okay, how do we live with it, Lord? Think about for a second, reflect. How often have you, have you, have you thought about reading a book, studying the scriptures, praying and asking God, how do I do that? When I was going through this week, I had to stop and say, well, I can think of sermons that touched on it, books that touched. I've never devoted myself to saying, Lord, would you teach me how to walk as a sojourner here on earth? This is not the kingdom we belong to ultimately. How can I, when I'm so weak, where can I find strength from battle to battle until I see you face to face? And that brings us to Psalm 27, which is, think of it this way, it is a battle manual for where we find courage and strength to face the normal and battled, desperate Christian life. Let me say it again. Psalm 27, it is a battle manual. It is a warfare manual. It is a field manual instructing the weak, i.e. you and I, where to find courage and strength to face the normal, embattled, desperate Christian life. And let me go ahead and be um, a spoiler here and give you the answer and not make you wait to the end. Here's, here's the answer that God gives through David in Psalm 27. The way we find courage amidst our weakness, and you have this in your handout, the way we find courage amidst weakness is by waiting on the Lord for strength. Fears within, conflicts without, what do we do? We find courage knowing we are too weak to handle the fears within and the conflicts without, how? By waiting on the Lord to give us strength. So tonight, we're going to see a beautiful display of how this unfolds in David's life. If there was ever a man who dealt with conflicts without and fears within and walked with courage, how did he do that? We're going to talk about how he waited upon the Lord. It is a 14-verse psalm. If I were to take the time to read all 14 verses to begin with, um, this we could be here a while by the time I go through everything. So what I would like to do is I want to read just verse 14 and let us pray. And then we're going to unpack three ways we see this in David's life where he is encountering these moments of weakness but yet he finds courage by waiting on the strength of the Lord. So look with me, Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. It says, as David speaks, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If you need further reminders to why it's important for us to know what it means to wait on the Lord for strength, fear not's the greatest commandment or most often repeated commandment in the scriptures. Wait upon the Lord occurs 156 times in the scriptures. This is more valuable than gold to learn Psalm 27. So let us pray. 
Father, I personally come before you knowing my own weakness to even share your word. And this is why I pray and I trust and I wait upon your spirit, God. If you don't fill me with your spirit, if you don't put me aside, if you don't cause me to decrease, then Jesus will not increase in these moments. If you don't give us all hearts such that we have eyes to see and ears to hear, it will all be in vain. And our hope is found in that we have a God who loves us and desires us to find our strength in you. So as we leave tonight, may we understand this clearly and concisely such that no matter what comes our way, no matter what we're going through now, we'll be filled with courage as we wait upon the strength of our Lord. Amen. Let me give you a real brief analogy. I was going to... Um, not share this in the second service. The beauty of the second service is I feel like you get a little bit of a better sermon. I get to practice in the first go around. Um, wasn't going to share this as I was getting ready. First started, I put my bottle of water down here, spilled everywhere. I mean, the whole thing was just a mess. So I'd be grateful you didn't make it to the first service. Let me give you a brief analogy from my childhood. And, and it's a, such a simple, perhaps even immature analogy but I want to use it to point to a greater eternal truth that's being portrayed here about waiting upon the Lord for strength when we're weak. Um, when I was 11 years old, or really growing up all the time, but I particularly remember 11 years old, so I played baseball. After school would get out, my friends and I, cousins, we, we would play baseball. And whenever summer baseball season um, and travel ball and the Gulf Coast um, uh, baseball season ended, which was usually about this time because we didn't make it to the championship except one time in all my career. So usually we were coming home about about this time. The last tournament was always in New Orleans, and you could count on my grandfather to be there with his um, extra-long diesel truck. And as soon as the game was over, myself, one of my friends, Joseph, cousins, We'd all load up and we'd head back to the farm. My grandfather died about eight years ago, but all of his life was a cattle farmer. Um, apart from my dad, I, he's my hero. Um, one of the strongest men I've ever known. And I found great comfort in being around him. I learned so much from him. And he loved me despite the fact that I'm not the strongest man. I don't think anybody's ever had a conversation where they said, yeah, Hal Hepburn, he's the strong, one of the strongest men. It's not happened. But I found great joy in being around him, and I loved him, and he loved us. And I remember being 11 years old, he had acquired a new piece of property at the back of his land. And 11 years old, he said, I want you to take the tractor, not, not the one that's air-conditioned and nice. He, I want you to take the 30-year-old tractor that you're going to burn up in the hot sun, and I want you to go back, and I want you to build a road for us so that we can come in tomorrow your cousins and I and your uncle and we'll begin to build fences, but go ahead and get this done. And I, I kind of eased over to him and I said, uh, um, I, I don't think I'm strong enough to, there's a lot of tree. He said, yeah, just go ahead and get the chainsaw, the pole saw, a few, few other chains and just go ahead and go ahead and knock it out. And I'm thinking, 
can, can a couple of people go with me maybe? And we, we work. <laughs> he said, get back there now. And, and I said, yes, sir. And so I got on the tractor and, and I asked one last thing, which was a huge mistake. I said, hey, can Hunter is one of my cousins. I said, can Hunter, can we put the tractor on his trailer? And he pulled back because that'll save us about 15 minutes. He said, go now. And it's about a 35 minute tractor drive all the way back there. So I was, that was the last question I asked for the rest of the day. And, and I went back there, and I started working on this road, and it was coming together nicely in about 30, 45 minutes. And I'm looking around, I'm like, well, this is looking good. You know, I'm feeling not arrogant, but I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. And then uh, there's some logs and things in the way, and I'm like, I don't know how to get those logs. I'm going to go around and build the rest of the road, come back, move the logs later. Went around them, go, and all of a sudden, the front tires of the tractor started developing water on them. Um, and if any of you have ever worked with equipment, you know what that means. I was 11, so I kept going. Next thing I know, I mean, literally within less than 10 seconds, I went from sitting in that tractor seat, which was as high above the ground as the back rear tires are, to sitting on the ground in that tractor seat because the back tires were completely submerged in what was a natural spring on this piece of property that my grandfather had not bothered to let me know was was back there. So here I got off of it, I'm covered in mud, and I look at it, and I step back, and I'm like, oh my goodness. It's an expensive piece of equipment, and all you can see is a seat, a motor, and half of the front tires, and I'm thinking, I could catch a Greyhound back home now, and this could all be over. So I thought, oh, well, okay. So I walked over to our neighbor's house, no cell phones back then for you, for you um, early career professionals. I know that's hard. Um, and, and this particular lady, she loved to look out of her blinds at everything I was doing, my cousins, all of us were doing, and call my grandmother and let her, you know, whatever she could. It was her daily joy to sit and watch and, and report anything that went wrong. So I get over there, she already knew what went wrong, and I said, can I borrow your phone? She said, yeah, but I already called your grandmother. I said, I need to call my grandfather. And so I did, and all he said was, hmm. And I said, will you come help me? He said, I'll be there, be there in 30 minutes. Well, by the time I walked back to the tractor, my cousins, friends, uncle, they're all in this kind of semicircle looking at it, and I walk up, and they, they act like they care, like, ooh, sorry, but really, they're like, whoa, bro, you, you're probably not going to make any money for the rest of the summer. That's it for you. You just got your paycheck cut for the rest of the summer. And they were, they were kind of giving me a hard time saying, there's no way out of this one. Are you worried about it? And I said, I'm not happy about it, but am I worried about it? No. And then they said, you're not worried about it at all? And I said, I just talked to Granddad, and he's on his way. I asked him to come. He said, be there in 30 minutes. Sure enough, a few minutes later, I hear the bulldozer coming down. And he pulls in, I think to make a statement, pulls right up in the middle of the circle of us. Gets off, doesn't say a word to anybody not wanting to show how truly soft-hearted he is. We, he starts commanding us to hook up chains here that, so that we can get things going. And he says, how come with me? And we turn and we walk back. And he looks over at me and I look at him and he's got this little grin on his face. And uh, he didn't need to say anything. 
He said, yeah, you messed up, but you're in a tight spot, but I love you. This, we'll get this taken care of. He started hooking up chains to pull this 4,500-pound, over two-ton tractor out of this <laughs> spring. And the first pull we made, the chain popped back, and it hit my grandfather right in the arm, and it sliced it open right across his hand up to his wrist. And I know it had to hurt, but he didn't say a word. He just hooked it up again a different way, pulled it out, unhooked everything, went home. He said, keep going. I'll be back at dust to get you. He died about eight years ago, and I remember going to his funeral and looking in the casket, and I held his hand. And on his hand was a five-inch scar from where that chain had busted it open that day. Why do I share that long analogy with you and detailed information? My cousins, my family, my friends that were co-workers want to know, are you, are you not scared? Are you not worried? You're never going to get that out on your own. I, I'm not. How come? Because I called and I talked to Granddad, and he's on the way. And in my mind, what that meant was, I may be weak, just a kid, not knowing what I'm doing, but he's strong. And in my eyes, he could fix or do anything. Like I said, that's such a childhood memory and not a perfect analogy. But ladies and gentlemen, when you find yourself... conflicts without and fears within and you know your weakness is not capable to handle it. There's one sitting at the right hand of the throne of God who bears the scars and the nail marks that prove he possesses the strength you need to give you the courage to navigate it for the sake of his glory. How do you, how do you go through conflicts without and fears Within, when we know we're not strong enough, I know I'm not strong enough to preach. I, I don't know if you know this or not. I get scared to death before I get up here. But it's a blessing because you know why? Because I spend all week on my knees praying, God, if you don't show up, this is going to be bad. And you're like, you should have prayed harder, Al. <laughs> we face an embattled world of spiritual warfare and we go from battle to battle but praise God because of the strength that God has supplied through our Savior Jesus Christ we go from strength to strength if and here's the if we wait upon the Lord so what does it mean to wait upon the Lord I'll give you three examples through David's life tonight And I pray you're as encouraged as I've been this week. So follow along with me. Like I said, we're going to read these chunks of Scripture as they relate. There are three examples here. The first one is verses 1 through 3, and it talks about how do we find courage amidst defeat, or how do we find courage amidst imminent defeat where we feel surrounded by defeat and there's no 
way out. How do we find courage in that moment? Verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear, David says. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army, let me hear this for just a second. Though an entire army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. How do we find courage amidst defeat? Point number one in your notes is this, by waiting upon the Lord for salvation. How do we find courage amidst defeat? By waiting upon the Lord for salvation. Let me give you an example. Earlier this week, it was Monday or Tuesday morning. Okay, I'm supposed to preach on Sunday, and I was struggling with like this sin. Like, I just couldn't stop dwelling on earthly things and put my mind and heart on heavenly things where Christ is seated. And I'm like, I'm preaching Sunday, and here I am caught up in worldly stuff that, not bad things in and of themselves, but they're terribly, th- terribly bad things if they're distracting me from focusing on God. And I tried harder to, to, to spend more time. I, I was doing everything I could to discipline myself, to, to, and it wasn't happening. So finally, I just texted a few of the guys here in the church, and I said, guys, I uh, need prayer. I, here's what I'm struggling with. Would you pray with me that God would give me a heart of desire for Jesus that's so strong that the things of this world would pale in comparison? And it didn't happen the moment I sent the text. But it was about a day and a half later. He used a a sermon and, and a book. And the scriptures that were shared there within to elate my heart in a new way. For Jesus. Conflicts without. We're going to talk about real physical adversaries, which is what he's talking about here. But don't forget, your greatest adversary in life is the enemy of your soul. Breaking news. You don't innately possess the strength to overcome sin. And to resist the temptation of sin. You're too weak. I'm too weak. I was downcast on Monday afternoon and Tuesday morning because of this. So what do I do? I, I pray and then I ask my brothers to pray with me. And then I wait upon the Lord. And sure enough, what happens? We may not be strong enough, but our Savior is strong enough. He reigns over all things, heaven and earth, as you heard read in Psalm 24. 
And he even reigns over the adversary himself, and adversary is on a leash and does nothing apart from his permission. They're not on equal level playing fields. God is sovereign. Our enemy is a created being just like us. He's on the same line of divide of creator and creation. He is creation. Our God is creator. When you're struggling with sin and you feel like defeat is there and you're thinking, how am I ever, am I ever going to overcome this sin? Or is it just going to reign in my life forever and I get a break here and there? And the answer is, if you will wait upon the Lord, you will find strength. And he will sanctify you. And yes, you will find his victory over that sin in your life until glorification comes and you see him face to face. Praise God. Somebody say amen. If not, that's too good. Well, but let's deal with this before we move to two and three. And two and three go quick, so don't get worried. We'll make it to dinner. But let's deal with the reality of what David's talking about here. He's not just talking about spiritual adversaries, he's talking about physical adversaries. So, you, so how? what about dealing with physical things that are coming against our life that seem to maybe imminent destruction is coming? What if destruction does come? Because you're not promised. If God calls you to a particular place to share his gospel, that you won't go there and do his work and breathe your last breath while you're there. So how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile this? How are you just feeding us something? Or is this true that if we wait upon the Lord, we'll find strength in his salvation? Here's, here, let me handle the first one first, and then I'll deal with the reality of even unto death. The first one, we will deal with physical things coming against our life that have seemed destructive. Think about the disciples in the boat with Jesus. Here comes this storm out of nowhere. Lord, do you care that we're going to perish? <laughs> you have to love Jesus. He's sleeping, gets up, peace be still. And what happens? Storm just calms. He has the power to do that. That does not mean he will always calm the storm that's coming against your life. It may very well be that he does just what he did for David here and call you to find shelter in the shadow of his wings as he spreads his arms out and embraces you and says, stay right here until these calamities pass by. You have it in your notes. Psalm 57, be, ver be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. If he doesn't, calm the storm, then you seek shelter in the shadow of his wings. Why? Because, it's, again, it's about his power. We are weak. There's nothing coming against him that's going to hurt those wings that we find shelter in. What can come against God if we're underneath and within the shadow of his wings? What will come through those wings to harm us? He'll be right there with us may not be easy. You may hear the wind whirling outside the shadow of those wings. You may feel the wind come through a little bit. It may allow you to experience a lot of pain through it. Wait upon the salvation of the Lord, and then you will find what? Courage when you're facing imminent defeat. Last thing, we'll go to number two and three, which go quick. What about death, Hal? 
Does that, that hold here? Because it's got to hold, Hal, or otherwise everything you're telling us is just... Sounds good. What if death? I don't want to say this uncompassionately. The worst thing created beings on this earth can do to the people of God. The worst thing they can do is take our life. And you say, well, that's a pretty big deal, Hal. It is, it is a slightly big deal, but what does it mean? It means you open your eyes and you're looking face to face, eye to eye with the one who made you. He said, don't fear the ones who can just kill the body. Fear the one who after he's killed can cast the soul in hell. His power is greater than anything coming against your life. And I'm not saying that you are not experiencing real problems in your life. What I am telling you is the power of our God is greater than the problems in your life. Always. So therefore we look to Him. You find yourself shifting back to fears within, conflict. Look to Him. Pray. It's what we see David doing here. Oh God, oh God, oh God. My only hope is in you, oh God. And then all of a sudden he's like, I don't care if they send the entire army against me. I'm fine, I'm not afraid. What? He knows he's found strength in his Lord. Number two. What about when we find ourselves facing forsakeness? And the desolation and the weakness that comes with that, the depression that comes with that. Look at verses 7 through 10. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Hear his tone here. God, don't leave me. Don't, don't be angry with me. Don't turn me away. Oh, you who have been my help. He's pleading with God. Cast me not off. Listen to this. Forsake me not, O oh God, of my salvation. Why? Because my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. When David says his father and mother have forsaken him, he's not... He is literally talking about it, but what he's really saying is those that are closest in my life, those whom I used to have sweet fellowship and companionship with Saul in the temple of God have forsaken me. My own son Absalom has forsaken me. The ones that should love me the most have forsaken me. But then all of a sudden we see this courage well up in David's life and he says... But the Lord will take me in. Point number two is this. We find courage amidst moments of forsakenness. By waiting on the Lord's steadfastness. We find courage in moments 
of desolation or forsakenness, whatever word you want to use there, by waiting on the strength of the steadfast love of God, who, by the way, you didn't pursue. He pursued you and cherishes you and welcomes you into his family. And instead, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look in your notes. You have Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. We have a lot of young believers Let me rephrase that. We have a lot of young adults who are strong believers in this church. And as you grow, there are those of us who have walked for the Lord a little bit longer, and there are those who have walked for the Lord for many years. And we will tell you, there will come a day, if it hasn't already, that the ones you depend upon, the ones God even has given you to walk through ministry together with, the ones in your family who you thought never would have a problem, forsakenness will come. And it's going to bring fears within, depression, desolation, isolation. What are you going to do in that moment? We have a couple of choices. We can wallow in that. We can, we can just sit in that and let it just own us. And that's what we would naturally do if God doesn't step in graciously. Give us courage by leading us to wait upon his steadfast love who will never forsake us. And the way we do this practically is you open up the word of God in that moment and you read it and you read it and you read it page after page until it comes off the page and you hear God say, I love you. I'm with you to the end. And if he never restores relationships, he never gives you those companionships back. He said, don't worry Be content, I'll never leave you or forsake you. In other words, if they don't come back, you've got me, and that's all you need. That kind of waiting upon the Lord will produce courage for you if you're walking through abandonment right now that the world won't understand. But they'll sure be intrigued by it. God cares desperately. For the hearts and souls and lives of those without caretakers. If you don't believe it, read through James and see his love for the orphan and the widow. See his love for the his people who've been abandoned by their families. Gives them new families like Ruth. Last year, there was this thing, it was a virus called COVID. You may probably haven't heard of it, but just follow. John uh, leads our local and global missions team, and um, we've had privilege of working through praying together and at church office over what, what do we do, Lord? Here we can't, we get masks going on, everything going on. 
And it became evident to us, just quit worrying about what do you do, what am I doing? We had set aside a set amount of money to go to Indonesia to share the gospel to the largest Muslim island in the world. We couldn't go. So we had this pocket of money. And God began to show us that. It was like, quit worrying about what you're going to do. What am I doing? Look around. Grace Fellowship, what am I doing? In 2020, we had five families bring children in their homes without a mother or a father. We've got two now in the process. We've got others going through foster care. It became clear, what is God doing amidst a global pandemic where you can't get on a plane and get somewhere you need to go? He's bringing them back. Those in need, and he's bringing them into a shelter. Though their father and mother may forsake them, the Lord will take them in, and he will use his people to do it. And so it was obvious we prayed, but there was no need to pray for permission. We just sat there, and we said, Lord, this money's yours, and it's going to go. Not as a grant, because we're not benevolent givers to what God is doing. It's a partnership in what God is doing. We are going to do it retrospectively and proactively. Give that money to those families who've invested in giving a home to those who've been forsaken by those in their lives. Close out too before we go to number three is find the courage in waiting upon the steadfast love of the Lord. He'll never leave you. But here's an application for you. Somebody may be going through forsakenness right now, and you may be the means of grace and the conduit of grace by which he wants to bring them into his love and his steadfast love. Let us be a people who everything we have, every dollar we have, every square foot of shelter that we are privileged to live under is an open home to take those in. Number three, before I start crying. What about finding courage amidst injustice? Verses 11 through 14 say this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Yet here we see a tone shift. Here comes courage. David says, But I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have a number of people in our faith family right now going through some rather strange and, and difficult situations of injustice. And by injustice, I mean, it's not that there shouldn't be evaluation of, of actions and things of that nature. But when someone's tone and someone's desire is to bring destruction in those moments and to find some way, find some kind of guilt despite what your heart was there. 
to fabricate it if they have to. What do we do in those moments? Because I can assure you from personal experience, it will bring about fears within. And you will try to hide it to show strength to your family. You'll try to hide it to show strength to your church. You'll try to hide it to show strength to your employees. When what we really need to do is have real courage that comes from waiting upon the vindication of God. That's point number three. Courage amidst forsakenness comes from waiting upon the Lord's vindication. In other words, often waiting upon the Lord means trusting His will is right even when everything around you looks wrong. You encounter injustice. You encounter slander. The temptation, this is probably not true for y'all, but for me it is, I'm gonna, I'll sit and think about how I'm going to argue this out and I'm going to, ah, boy, I'll get them. Lay, lay in bed and you're thinking in bed, I know what I'll say to shut this down and put this all to rest. Just me, I know. But how sinful when, as Psalm 24 said, the maker of the heavens and the earth is our God? Do you think it caught him by surprise that we walked into that moment of injustice? He's sovereign. Perhaps he walked us right into it so that we respond not in our strength, but by the supernatural grace that comes from waiting on him that produces courage, and as a result, it brings glory to God to everybody involved around that's an unbeliever. The beauty of the gospel is this. The eternal accusations that were brought against us apart from Christ were not unjust. We were all guilty. Had God in His grace looked upon hopelessly sinful man and in love chose to send His perfectly righteous Son To go to the cross such that he could take our unrighteousness and put it on Jesus at the cross. And all of us, by grace through faith, will take his righteousness from that, his merits are transferred to our life. And he's coming again. And you say, I don't know if I can take this world. How much longer can we take of it? New Testament, you see First Peter, Second Peter, I, the boy, they just, people, especially in north of the Mediterranean, would just really, really hone in on new believers and say, you sure he's coming? You sure have a lot of courage about it, waiting on this Lord of yours. What was their response? Don't count his patience as slowness. 
Rather, no, he doesn't desire any of you to perish. He's coming, fully confident, filled with courage of it. Praise God who looks upon the weak and gives us courage by calling us to wait upon his strength. So let me close with this. As you wake up tomorrow morning, this all may sound good tonight, but when it begins to rear its head back up tomorrow morning, or if maybe, maybe you make it to lunch and it, it comes back up and the fears within come, the conflicts without, the uncertainty of what's going to turn out, God already knows how this is going to play out. Wait upon the Lord. How do I wait upon the Lord? How, if you're struggling with imminent defeat, you pray like David did. You pray. You go to your knees. You, you, don't, you don't go to the mattresses to try to fight this out. How do I wait upon the Lord if I'm feeling desolation and forsakenness? You open up the Word of God and you read page after page until your heart is filled with the courage of the presence and ever-faithfulness, steadfast love of a holy God who loves you. How do I wait on the Lord if I'm dealing with, with injustice? Because you remember that God is both just and the justifier. And who can bring condemnation against the heavenly Father above who has declared you justified? What court are you going to appeal that to? There is no higher judge. And he said, not only forgiven, he said, innocent. Not guilty, not committed sin. What do you mean? How can that be? Because I put it on Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. And we wait upon the moment when the scriptures say, no eye is seen, no ear is heard for that which God has prepared for those who wait for him. One day, our eyes will see and our ears will hear as we wait on the Lord at Grace Fellowship. Amen to our God. And may he strengthen you this week.